Sponsored by Suaco, Gevi, Nota AI, One.network, and Navtech Radar. From Los Angeles, Highways Voices at the ITS World Congress 2022. Welcome to day two of the ITS World Congress from here in Los Angeles as we talk, among other things, low-carbon transport, startup opportunities and radar. Plus, you get your trusted guide to the must-do things on Tuesday, meet some companies on the UK Pavilion and get your guide to places to see and shop here in LA. Hello from Paul Hutton, it's Highways Voices, sponsored by Swarco, Gevi, Navtech Radar, Nota AI and One Dot Network. And where we will start, as we always do, with... What not to miss at Congress with Eric Sampson. So let's kick off, as always, with our look ahead to some of the must-attend sessions in today's World Congress programme with Professor Eric Sampson, the Chief Rapporteur and one of the only people, indeed perhaps the only person, to have been to every single ITS World Congress since they all started back in the 90s in Paris. Uh, Eric, what catches your eye on Tuesday here at Congress? Oh, there's a lot. I've tried to slim it down, but I'm not sure I've been very successful. The International Forum is dealing with fair mobility as a service. This is about how do we make transport available to people who haven't got much money. It's as simple as that. The plenary presentation is all about a safe systems approach. Transport is all about systems, um, units of activity that interact with each other. So this is an attempt to look at it and try to make it more equitable so that more people have got access. Regional Forum 4 is about door-to-door service. How can we do delivery of people and freight from door literally to door? It's also the emergency response day. Um, This is something that is special to the North America Congresses where fire, police, ambulance, all sorts of emergency services are brought into action to learn what other transportation systems can do for them, share their problems. And in the past, there have been some very lively demonstrations, such as the fire service setting fire to a very large building to show how quickly they can put it out. And then, slightly provocative, is there a business case for automated vehicles? My very good friend, Risto Kormala, his line is, if automated vehicles are the answer, well, what's the question? So I think SIS 49 is one to go to. There's also SIS 40, Women in Transportation Leadership. That's another thing that's very obvious in this Congress, that there is far more visibility of sessions looking at gender, looking at women, than I can remember from anything previous. And the other one I want to pick up is Workshop 2, Development of a Comprehensive National Traffic Safety Service, looking at the US, where the vehicle uh, fatalities are coming down very, very slowly, certainly more slowly than compared with European countries. So this is a big effort to try and see what can we do to bring down fatal accidents. Let's just rewind to what you mentioned there, Eric, about uh, the business case for automated vehicles, because I remember I was in this very state, but north of here in Santa Clara near San Francisco, and I had the 
really fascinating joy, genuine joy, of interviewing a guy called Chris Ermson, who at the time was running the Google Car Project. And I asked him what was the business case, and he showed off the joys of working for an organisation like Google when he went, well, we're going to build it, and then we're going to work out how to make money out of it, which is the sort of luxury, I suppose, if you work for Google. But you've read the papers, you've got a sneak preview. Is there a business case for automated vehicles? There is a business case for some automated vehicles. If you're running a park and ride bus service in a city, there's potentially an extremely attractive business case. If you're running an airport where people arrive at one place, car park, need to be taken to the terminal, very attractive case. I have yet to see, and I'm not saying it doesn't exist, just saying I've yet to see a very good business case for something on the open road. People being able to drive into cities in single occupancy pods in order to get them closer to work, having picked one up at the railway station. I've, I've yet to see the case for that. Well, the other one I think is interesting, and we're going to massively overrun here, Eric, but uh, it's such a fascinating subject. I saw an article about the business case for Uber, and of course the beauty of Uber is the fact that supply follows demand. As more and more people want to travel around, the drivers, who are all self-employed, choose those times to go out and drive because they know they're going to get their fares. If you take the drivers out the equation and their vehicles that they own, Uber will have to invest in a load of vehicles to fulfill the demand at peak time and then what on earth are they going to do with these vehicles off peak and so actually i question whether or not them having to invest in the technology of driverless vehicles in order to save a few quid for paying the driver is actually going to end up working for them i think you've answered your own question the other point about all of this is parking if there's no driver and the driverless vehicle does its job, delivers its occupant somewhere, what next? Is it going to go back to where it started? And that adds to congestion. Is it going to try and find parking somewhere? And I think most cities would dearly love to have the answer to those questions. Okay, well, we're going to discuss it today at the World Congress. Professor Eric Sampson has given us another brilliant guide to some of the must-see sessions here in Los Angeles. And Eric will talk again tomorrow. From the exhibition floor at the LA Convention Center, this is Highways Voices with Paul Hutton. Sponsored by Notter, AI, Gevi, Swaco, One Dot Network and Navtech Radar. Here on Highways Voices, well, it wouldn't be a Highways voices if it didn't come to our sponsors Swarco who've always been extremely generous in supporting my podcast from around the world and ITS congresses here there and everywhere over the years. Swarco one of our sponsors along with Gevi, Notar AI, Navtech Radar and One Dot Network and I'm with my friend Richard Neumann from Swarco. Richard another city another continent another exhibition hall and here we are again. Yes, here we are again. We managed to make the trip across the ocean and finally also managed to set up a stand here at the ITS World Congress, which was a big challenge for us. Uh, It's not so easy to organize an exhibition stand uh, over thousands of miles um, with a stand builder you have never worked together with. 
um, and with catering prices which are yeah more than high well all i'll say <laughs> richard we've still got a great cup of coffee which i really need today with the jet lag and the stand still looks great and you know swaco now has a base in california because of swaco mccain Yes, we um, in 2016 already we acquired McCain Inc. And um, over the past six years, we did not change anything in the company name. But in the meantime, we have rebranded the company and put them under the Swaco umbrella brand. So now they are called uh, Swaco McCain. It's not the only bit on this part of the planet that Swaco are um, involved in because just over the other side of the border in Mexico, you've got a manufacturing facility and uh, you were telling me that you've been to see it. Yes, um, I benefit, of course, from this opportunity once that I'm in California because I've never been here before. Um, that we also have a look at our colleagues uh, who work beyond the border in Tijuana, uh, where we run a factory of about 500 employees. Um, and they are producing the nice products which we uh, then bring back to the US and sell them as Swaco McCain. Okay, so remind me what those nice products are. Yeah. We have really a very high uh, value chain um, in, in that factory. So we are producing variable message signs, we are doing injection molding, we are doing uh, die casting, we are producing the controllers, we are doing the housings, the cabinets. So it's a full chain of uh, work steps which we can cover in that factory directly. Now. The thing is, though, with Swaco, in the years that we've been chatting in exhibition halls all around the world, one of the interesting things that I find is how much more you're doing in the software side of things as well as the hardware. So uh, you've got Swaco My City. How's that going? Yeah, Swaco My City is actually premiered here um, by Swaco McCain now uh, at the ITS World Congress because we started to roll this out in Europe over the past two years. And of course, My City is a constant development. So it's getting new features uh, almost every two months or so. And um, we also work together here uh, with a startup uh, we, uh, which is from Canada called Microtraffic. And this company, which we knew from Intertraffic in Amsterdam, uh, they specialize in analyzing intersections by video analysis. And they detect near misses between vehicles and pedestrians. And this uh, analysis can help us mitigate such incidents and accidents by integrating the data into our MyCity software suite. You're still a privately owned company. And I think the thing that makes that clear to me is the fact that you've just said to me, oh yeah, we saw them at Intertraffic. Now, Intertraffic Rewind was less than six months ago. Not only have you met a company in six months, but you have now started working with them and you've brought them with you onto your stand. That's pretty agile business. Yes, Swaco is well known for agility. That's one of our core values. And um, actually, in Amsterdam, there was a, um, a startup um, competition and the company we work with won this startup competition and we had contacts and we invited them to Austria and we did a rapid prototyping job. Uh, they were in a, enclosed in a house in, in Ötztal, in beautiful mountain area, and within four days they developed a prototype that could be presented to our board showing that the near-miss analysis can be integrated into my city. 
this is a lesson for you if you own an SME, even if you're just a little something you make in your shed. Enter these competitions, and especially the fact that I remember talking to Michael Schuster, the CEO of Swaco, at uh, Into Traffic here on Highways Voices, and he talked about the startup competition. Enter it because you never know, you might get spotted and you might suddenly be growing with one of the world's biggest transport companies. Yeah, for, for us it's an important cornerstone also to, to have a look at the startup scenery, at the startup industry, because the startups, uh, as you said, sometimes are very, very agile. And if we put a startup and a, a strong player like Swaco together, there might come out good things. Richard, always a pleasure to see you. Thanks ever so much for your support. And uh, this time next year, somewhere else. Thank you for another opportunity to talk to you, Paul. You're listening to Highways Voices, sponsored by Swarco, Notar AI, Gevi, One Dot Network and Navtech Radar. And we'll hear from Navtech Radar before the end of this podcast. But first, let's meet some of the organisations on the UK Pavilion who've all joined together. Hi. I'm Christina Leocides, Head of Professional Services for GAST, and I'm at the ITS World Congress UK Pavilion representing my company. I'll be very much looking forward to meeting you a little bit about GAST, my company. We're an international roadscape intelligence and highways technology company, a bit of a mouthful, but what we're interested in looking at all sorts of data that gives us the best intelligence about how to use road and roadscape services efficiently in a connected way. So we have strategic strategic partnerships, we have our own data and we look at how we can actually synthesize that, how we can use it to give the best insights and the best intelligence and then present it to customers all over the world in the UK and internationally who want to make the most of their roadscapes, whether that's the assets, whether it's the roads themselves or all the associated uses who want to make the best and have the most connected, digitally advanced data available to them for their insights and their improvements. Hello, my name is Miles Garner from a company called Arigo. We're here at ITS on the UK stand. I have two colleagues, Chris and Tunnell from Arigo Canada and Arigo USA. On the stand, we have an autonomous pod, which can carry up to four people and we're here on the booth talking to people about the range of products that we have for the passenger sector and the aviation sector. Come across to the stand, ask one of the team, and we can tell you lots and lots of exciting news that's happened ever so recently, and also the product range over the next year or so. Hello, I'm Rachel Quinn from Nykanda, a UK-based software company that specialises in intelligent transport and asset management. NICANDA will be exhibiting at the ITS World Congress as part of the UK Pavilion on stand 1247, alongside world-leading organisations that cover all aspects of ITS solutions. On the stand, we'll be demonstrating our award-winning solutions so you can see the real-world benefits of our software systems. This includes our vehicle priority system, PTIM, which uses virtual detection zones and trigger point data to reduce congestions and improve road space. We'll also be showcasing App3D, our innovative digital twin software that will make your 3D visualization project a reality. We know that your problems are unique, so your solutions should be too. 
With Nikanda, you'll be placed at the leading edge of transportation management solutions, so you can effectively manage client assets throughout their life cycle. On the stand, we'll be available to chat through the challenges you're facing and explore the solution for you. Visit us at the UK Pavilion to find out more. Do come and visit the UK Pavilion if you're here in LA, where you can meet some of the best innovators on the planet. Now, let's look back on yesterday at the Congress, and first thing in the morning, the global consultancy WSP hosted a breakfast where they shared some of their latest thinking on the future of transport. So I went along. Ian Patey from WSP, your head of profession in ITS. Um, you did a presentation here at the WSP breakfast about the road to net zero. Um, now, you talked about three things that we've heard before, where in order to reduce carbon emissions, we want efficient use of existing transport networks, we want to encourage a modal shift, and we want to adopt net zero vehicles. Now, that all sounds nice and easy, but there must be lots of challenges in it. There's huge challenges in that, because when we look at intelligent transport systems or services, we're looking at a holistic approach which involves people, process, technology, the infrastructure, the use of space, etc. Quite often, the things within that system compete against each other. So um, people might want to adopt an electric vehicle, but they might not have anywhere to charge it. Or they may, when they're using it, they, they may um, not know when they stop. Uh, is there going to be a charging uh, point available? So in making that, those things easier for people, help them to adopt it. And similarly for public transport, um, you, you can very easily install a, a new um, public transport system. But if people don't know or have the confidence that they're going to be safe on there, secure, that the, the, um, the, the trains or the buses or trams are going to arrive on time, uh, what time is the next one, what's the connection time, how easy it is to use, what happens when there's a problem. So putting all those things into context and then using technology to um, solve those problems um, can really help. Um, but if it's not thought about in that holistic way, then um, you can have a bit of a nice white elephant. I'll give you two examples of a weekend spent in Los Angeles. First of all, I have to say that the LA Metro compared to when I've been on the New York subway or the London Underground or even uh, the uh, subway system in Rio de Janeiro, I actually felt there was a greater sense of menace on the LA Metro system. I genuinely was on edge, I think, is, is the way to describe it. I didn't necessarily feel in danger but I didn't feel I could just like get my phone out and uh, scroll through it as I would on the tube in London. The other one was I hired a bike and there to find the docking station, I cycled along from Venice Beach to uh, Santa Monica Pier. The docking station was nowhere near the pier. We had to hoik the bike up some steps and finally find it. There was no navigation system on the app that we could find. So how could technology actually help us solve that to make the solutions that they're trying to put in here in LA to get people out of their cars actually attractive? I think you uh, gave some of the answers there, Paul, um, particularly with, with, the, uh, with the bike one, is that, um, again, taking that holistic approach is, uh, and thinking about the people 
the, the technology in that case either perhaps be in the bike but also space use of space so um, how do you facilitate the use of that space so that the bike docking stations are somewhere that's quite accessible either putting them in, in, a, in a different place or um, maybe, maybe some civil infrastructure maybe some ramps or something like that or a bit of signage um, but also the app itself uh, so the app isn't um, just oh here, here's a dot on a map but what are the you know how, how do you actually get to there Ian's written a quite detailed paper on some of his solutions which we'll post on Highways News let's now be joined by uh, Ian's colleague who is Richard Chavez and he's National Head for Long Range ITS Strategic Planning which is a fantastic job title to have on a business card I expect. Now Richard you talked in your presentation about the importance of recognising uncertainty and planning for uncertainty and you also talked about system dynamics. Give a sort of summary of what your presentation was all about. The pilot project that we did here in Southern California with the Association of Governments uh, was a really eye-opening experience looking at how trends affect uh, the strategies for things like reducing greenhouse gas emissions, uh, creating a sustainable transportation system. So our, our pilot project with SCAG, which is the largest metropolitan planning organization in the United States, um, really helped us dive into the issues and, and complexities of a system and how we simplify it, how, how we organize it, and really helped us kind of better understand uh, the effectiveness of the strategies that um, we're hoping are going to help us solve things like reducing greenhouse gas emissions over time. One of the things you touched on, which I've always thought when it comes to local authorities and in my time dealing with different authorities, you will get occasionally authorities that are really keen to jump in and be the first to do things. But most of the time, there is a real risk aversion and you kind of what I call the rush to be second comes in which is where people are desperately waiting for other people to do it so that can reduce their fear of blame if they do something and it doesn't go right. Do you find that and how do you get round it? Yeah, great question. And, you know, we see it all the time where a lot of the especially smaller uh, transportation agencies are looking to agencies like SCAG, uh, which again is the largest metropolitan planning organization in the United States, for leadership and to really have the resources to do things like a pilot project using system dynamics to explore uncertainty. Now that we have this under our belts, we're hoping a lot of other agencies look to this as guidance for how to come up with better strategies for their metropolitan areas. You know, as we're dealing with things like climate change, how do we develop a more equitable transportation system? These are challenges where our current strategies just aren't getting us there. And agencies that continue to do the things that they've always, the way they've always done them, it's not going to get us there. So we're really optimistic that this pilot project is going to create some excitement in the industry for how do we have better techniques for coming up with strategies that are going to be more effective at reaching our long-term goals. Well, I'm driving from here in LA to San Diego on Saturday to visit some friends, so I guess if I get stuck on the five, uh, it'll be your fault. It probably will be, and, and you know, it, it's not uncommon to be sitting in traffic for four hours between San Diego and LA, and how do we develop a better system that's more efficient, and uh, it, bottom line, gives people access to opportunities and access to their kids who are visiting, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. Well, rest assured, if I do get stuck in traffic, I won't blame 
you because I know you're trying to do something about it. Richard Chavez and Ian Patey, thanks very much for your time on Highways Voices. Thank you. Thank you very much. Highways Voices from the ITS World Congress in Los Angeles is presented and produced by Paul Hutton and sponsored by Gevi, Suarco, One Dot Network, Navtech Radar and Nota AI. You're listening to Highways Voices from the ITS World Congress here in Los Angeles, brought to you thanks to the kind sponsorship of Swaco, Gevi, Nota AI, One Dot Network and Navtech Radar. And I think it's only fair that if they're going to part with money to send your dutiful reporter across the pond to Los Angeles, we ought to have a chat with them. But this does not mean that I'm just going to sit here and say, tell me why you're such a brilliant company. Uh, I'm going to ask some proper questions like a proper journalist. I've been joined by Phil Avery, who is founder and managing director of Navtech Radar. And I guess if you're listening here in the States, it's pretty much he's president and CEO. If you if you go with that, then then that's what his job title would be if Navtech Radar were an American company. So, Phil, talking of working in America, you are because you're not just a UK company, you're uh, having solutions everywhere. And the thing that caught my eye was work you've been doing in Maryland. Yes, we are currently involved with a, uh, a project to put our system on, a, on 30 miles of, of highway there. Um, the solution is designed to uh, monitor a temporary hard shoulder lane, which is uh, uh, obviously used temporarily and needs to be opened up occasionally during the day and before they do that they would like to see whether there are any stop vehicles or debris on that lane before it's opened up obviously to avoid accidents and our system is being installed to provide that information um, and improve the safety of that that uh, that highway so for those that don't understand you're very much the leader in stop vehicle detection in the uk and on smart motorways and all the places i think we we can speak out of turn slightly about national highways here because we're uh, eight time zones away but all the places where smart motorways have really got a bad name are the places where your stopped vehicle detection wasn't actually installed so it does work doesn't it Absolutely. Um, and, and I think that's proven on the National Highway Solution, where we have over 300 miles of highway covered by our, our technology. And I, and I think it, it is fair to say that the, the comprehensive nature, the, the full coverage, the tried and tested solution, I mean, it was over 10 years ago now that we installed the system in, uh, in, on the E4 in, in Sweden. Um, and we've been refining the system ever since then. And now it would be safe to say that the, the solution provides the highest level of detection, the lowest fault alarm rates um, and has been continually enhanced to provide a, a, a very effective solution now that works in all weather conditions, that works in all light conditions and provides safety when you need it most when visibility is poor. You walk around the exhibition hall, we can see lots of LiDAR solutions, we see lots of machine vision solutions. You just said the highest level of detection. What makes your radar solution different? It's no coincidence that radar is used for uh, aviation applications, marine applications and military applications. Clearly in those applications they have a, a choice of sensors they could use and, and radar is the sensor of choice. And there's a very good reason for that. Um, it works at a different frequency to light, it penetrates the atmosphere, it works over long ranges, it works in poor light conditions, it works in poor weather conditions, it works in fog, um, therefore providing an extremely high level of, of uh, uh, performance throughout any condition. And actually it's in those conditions 
when visibility is poor that you need it to work most. Where human operators, where someone is driving along in a car, can't see very far, they need to know if there's a stop vehicle in front of them. So LiDAR solutions, video solutions, they do work, but arguably, they don't work when you need them most, when, when the conditions are poor. Um, and that's why we, we, we choose radar to offer that capability. People are quite surprised at the level of capabilities that we can offer. Um, typically, if you were used to seeing a video system or a LiDAR system, you would have ranges out to you know, maybe a couple of hundred meters if you're really lucky, uh, but mostly that would be only in good conditions. Uh, we offer detection out to 500 meters, 360 degrees. We can cover 10, 12 um, carriageways with just one sensor. Uh, uh, so this technology is not commonly used in, the, in this part of the world yet um, and is not known about. And that's why we're here, to make sure that everyone does know about it. Well, you're right in as you come in uh, through the door. There's the iTerris stand in. On the left-hand side, we have the Navtech radar stand. Phil, thank you very much for supporting our podcast here from Los Angeles. I will speak to you soon. Thanks very much. Alan's Guide to L.A. Finally, let's get our guide to the things to do here in LA that aren't ITS with our local expert, British expat Alan Cleland of ITS consultancy DKS Associates. Great places to shop and first things to do here in the City of Angels. The prime one I would pick would be the, the Griffiths Observatory. In the days when we didn't have all these massive population growth and sprawl in Los Angeles, and we didn't have the light pollution that comes from street lighting, and buildings. The observatory was built up in the hills um, to the north of um, the city. And it is still a prime place to visit to get a feel for the spread of Los Angeles. The views are tremendous from the observatory. Um, the, the telescope is still operational and the public is allowed to uh, go and observe daily. The views of LA are just fantastic. And of course, the view of the Hollywood sign is exceptional from the, the Griffiths Observatory. What's interesting uh, for the engineers amongst us, there's a Tesla coil there as well, which gets activated. And that's quite phenomenal to see, uh, full-size Tesla coil with a discharge. So I really recommend the Griffith Observatory. But there's also a really good way of seeing LA not too far from the convention center uh, at the US Bank Tower. And the US Bank Tower is one of the tallest buildings in LA. A very tall building. And from the 70th to the 69th floor, there is an external slide, which is encased in glass or it's clear anyway. And you can slide from the 70th to the 69th floor and get a phenomenal view of, uh, of LA. And there's beautiful views from the, from the building anyway, but that's, that's quite something. Directly opposite the Central Library um, on 5th, at 5th and Grand. So that's worth... a. That's worth a visit, definitely. In my sort of brief visits where I'm usually passing through Los Angeles en route somewhere else, I have been a couple of times to Hollywood Boulevard. To me, it didn't really grab me. I thought it was a bit seedy oh. and a bit bit crummy, really. Have I got it wrong? It, it smartened his act up. And uh, I think I mentioned in a, in a previous discussion, Paul, and um, the Hollywood Highland development. Um, which is a sort of small open mall with nice restaurants, great shops, fantastic view of the um, of the Hollywood sign from a nice little display area um, reflecting Hollywood's history because there's a casting couch there that you can sit on and look at the Hollywood sign. 
I think just walking down Hollywood Boulevard and seeing the stars, you know, it's 1.2 mile, I think, is stretch of Hollywood Boulevard from Gower in the east. Just the names and the, and the the memories that the the boulevard evokes when you see these names and their stars, it's it's worth a trip. It really is. And there's some really good, they're really good shops. There's some pretty cheesy shops there as well. But um, it's a fascinating place to go and visit. And of course, you still have the handprints in the concrete from the from the movie stars outside the Chinese theater. And talking of shops, I am slightly concerned that Mrs. Hutton will be with me and we'll be going to Rodeo <laughs> Drive. I'm not sure anything good can come of that. Ah, uh, yes. Well, I I, sh- I would share your your concern there as well. And of course, there are plenty of other places to go and visit as well, other than uh, other than the infamous Rodeo Drive. But it's quite a place. I actually remember seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger driving his open-top Ferrari down Rodeo Drive on one of my visits there, and that was quite a sight. But there are wonderful shopping facilities all over LA. Um, out towards um, Beverly Hills there, there's The Grove, which is a, an open mall, large open mall, um, developed by a gentleman called Rick Caruso, who developed that facility and also a large one in a city called Glendale to the east, northeast of, of the city of LA. And he's currently running for mayor. But the Grove is a is a very, very impressive shopping facility, very upmarket as well. So that's Alan Cleland with his guide to Los Angeles, and that's it for today's Highways Voices. Join me tomorrow for a really special Highways Voices in as much as Eric Sampson says something nice about me. Believe it, it happens. You'll hear that tomorrow on Highways Voices from LA. Highways Voices from the ITS World Congress in Los Angeles is presented and produced by Paul Hutton and sponsored by Gevi, Suaco, One Dot Network, Navtech Radar, and Nota AI.